Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Ruth Penfold-Brown, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, thank you for having me, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. So you are a finder of people, a recruiter of, what, 13 years in boutique agencies, then director of talent acquisition for Shazam. And I love this. You were in some way responsible for connecting a billion people together. That's not bad. Yeah. Well, for Shazam, yeah, by absolutely. (laughs) You had this lovely line there that you were hiring the humans that made the magic happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. made the magic happen. So then VP of people at a machine learning company, Onfido, and then CPO, Chief People Officer. So the BP Launchpad, that was a fun gig. That sounded nice. Then a yoga teacher, podcast host, (laughs) and Pancakes and Peacocks. I have to know where you came up with the name for your own gig, Pancakes and Peacocks. Well, I mean, pancakes and peacocks, there is a, I mean, there is a story behind it. Um, Because, well, first of all, I love round edible flat things, right? So we're talking pancakes, um, tacos, pizzas, anything, a a wrapper, anything that you can like, round edible, round flat things. So there was an Absolutely. As long as they can be gluten-free, and I'm yet to find a chapati that can be gluten-free, but I maybe haven't looked hard enough. But (laughs) So um, there was an obvious synergy with the pancake, and pancake for me, actually, the Pancakes and Peacocks title started out as a podcast about, I'd realized to I'd managed to create a life for myself that felt truly joyful. And I decided I wanted to share that with others and like provide a little bit of the inspo that I'd been feeling. So at the time it was like pancakes, love them, joyful, beautiful peacock. It's really, I think what we all could be right. The peacock is unapologetic. It is proud. It lets its feathers shine out to the world, but also has a few dark other feathers that it keeps hidden, right? And I just thought that was beautiful for kind of the the power that we could step into. And so when I sort of by accident rather than by design ended up creating my own business, um, it was just natural to pull that title through. And actually there's quite, you can really use, take the pancake analogy quite a long way because the culture of an organization is a bit like a pancake, right? Um, you know, like you can easily get the batter wrong. <laughs> the first pancake is usually terrible. <laughs> so I kind of now have, have, I guess, created a segue into culture for organizations from a title that already existed. Marvelous. There's a, I'll, I'll, I'll add one. You, you probably heard of this, a thing called the talent stack. So you take, and you're in the US now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Des, des, despite our British accents. Yeah. Um, 
and you've got the American style pancakes. You know, think of the American pancake stacks. You've got a stack of these pancakes with this maple syrup and stuff on that on top of it. And each of these are the individual skills and talents that you develop over time. And that together makes up your unique talent stack. Oh, love it. There you are. So that's love it's, it. it's the, the individuality that is you, but based on these skills that you can then sort of develop. So Thanks for that ad. I will make sure to thank you whenever I use it. <laughs> please, please do. I think I stole it from somebody as well. Scott, Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy. I stole it from him. So in that illustrious career then, at what point did you first become a people manager? Oh, well, see now, that was it was during the recruiter years, that first 13. And it was actually interesting because... I started to lead others somewhere in my mid-20s in that role. And I was given the title of director at that time. But here's the interesting bit. I actually wouldn't even use the title publicly because I didn't think I deserved it. And um, it's so interesting. When, when I look back as someone in their 40s at the version of me in their 20s, um, the fact that I'd other people were giving me that role, yet I was so impostery that I didn't even claim it, even though I was running a business from an operational standpoint. I was leading a team of others. I was bringing in the, the lion's share of the revenue within that organization and managing many of the client relationships. Um, and so it's kind of amazing when you look back and you think, wow, I, like there is a textbook example of somebody not claiming even the role that they've been given, let alone powerfully uh, energizing their own career, right? Um, but I mean, if I talk about how I led others then, I mean, it was kind of, I guess, clumsy and apologetic and like, ooh, and as a people pleaser, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. So I took on other people's work rather than actually empowering them and enabling them and having the conversations that I now know how to have. So I would say that my first kind of little dalliance with people management was probably clumsy at best, but I gave it a good go, Paul. <laughs> Do you know, I think there's a thing about most people's own experience of their first manager and most people's experience of their first manager tends to be somebody in their first manager role mm -hmm. so that is then what shapes us and as you have to go through this whole period of unlearning all the crap Absolutely. that we saw because yeah. who you put in charge of the most junior people which is you coming out of college or university or school the most junior manager who knows jack shit about managing people who then yeah. blunders their way through it leaves this trail of destruction behind them. Not, not intentionally. I mean, my God, I need to apologize to them all. So sorry to all the people that screwed over and made a disaster of learning how to actually manage people. So, but then you go through, you, you, you do, you said it's the archetypical mistake, isn't it? I'll just do the job rather than do the managing of the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and without that role model of leadership, you just stumble your way through. Yeah. And it wasn't until my early 30s that a role model emerged. And actually, he was my leader for about six to eight weeks, Paul. But in that time, he changed my life because he saw stuff in me that others hadn't seen before. Rather, they certainly haven't told me that they saw. And his belief in me was so powerful that it actually made me grow bigger and then start 
um, really investing in learning, really investing in my own development and my own leadership development and starting to build the tools and skills that would actually then set the foundation for the rest of my leadership career. Um, But it was just when that magical human came along as a role model that I was able to go, Wow. And I could, you know, six within six to eight weeks, he he literally changed the trajectory of my life at that time. Never underestimate the power of a single conversation to change your life. That's it. Totally, totally. I, I had a, a marvellous guy called Jacques Levy, French mm-hmm. chap. Um, and I'm almost, I'm almost embarrassed to, to talk to the guy because he's kind of like an, you know, an idol. And I had him as a short period of time as my manager and exactly the same. He was the one that said, managing people is a thing, it's a practice, it's a skill you can go and learn and get better at and do these things. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's so one amazing. of those moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a really important reminder of just how much we can give to others by just seeing the light in them that they're not seeing in themselves yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. By saying it out loud, you know, it's it's so, so powerful. I believe you can do this. Yeah. Really? 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 <laughs> yeah. Really? What? You're looking oh, yeah. behind you, you know. <laughs> you know, you're talking to the other guy, the other, the other oh, Scott bloke called Paul, yeah. right? What? <laughs> uh, the, 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 where does this come from, this, this lack of belief or faith in this? I don't, I mean, you're sitting there in the U.S. right now, and I, and I said before, I'm married to an American. I don't know if the Americans feel this. Maybe they're yeah. better at faking it, or is it a British thing, or I don't know. No, I think, I honestly think culturally there is a different mindset here, which is one of you can um, and anything is possible. Now, um, you know, I, I, I know that that isn't everybody's lived experience here, but I would say hmm. if I compare British culture and American culture, I was hugely inspired when I started to work with more American colleagues, or should I say co-workers at Shazam, because of this mindset difference of like, you can, like you can do it. Um, If not, like, why not you, frankly? Whereas there's something about British culture that teaches us a subservience and, and an over, an overly powerful sense of gratitude for what we have. Although I will say, Paul, I think that shifting from millennial onwards um, and happily is dragging some of us slightly older people with it, <laughs> you know, like the, the sense of actually I, I, I should get to do something that I feel, I feel uh, inspired by. I do deserve to be paid more. I do you know, do you know what I mean? But I think I think there's certainly there is a whole generation and beyond of folks that really did just come into the workforce grateful for whatever they were given. Thank you for the crumbs. Thank you for my <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there or the corollary of that perhaps? Is that entitlement? No. You know, you well, see people being do do Sometimes you look, you hear, you look at people, you think it's a bit entitled, but then hang on, whoa, whoa, stop. Maybe you should be entitled to right. these things. Yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing the reaction that that brings up in us. And it's through our societal coding and conditioning that comes from our families and the humans that we're around that makes us have this sort of feeling of disgust in 
when we see the things in others that we're not living into ourselves, right? Mm. So when we see someone claiming their space for the first time, we're like, whoa, what's, oh, that's gross. Look at that person. Who do they think they are? Now, if we get lucky, we manage to stick around long enough to be inspired by that person and realize that the way that they're seeing themselves, we could actually see ourselves like that too. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. There is a dark side to entitlement and mm. one that we have to be careful to, to walk the line of. But I would love to get to live long enough to see a world where we're all claiming the space that we inhabit in the world much, much quicker and and really being able to say i deserve this and i deserve to have a great life and i'm going to be the person who can drive it forward and build it but at the same time society is going to enable it too what would you then on the basis of that phenomenal six to eight weeks of epiphanical relationship you had what would you in turn do for someone else for a new first-time manager Oh, I think I think the best advice, although I know if you're a first time manager or if you were me in my 20s, you won't believe me. Um, but you you don't have to know all of the things you have to just the only thing you've got to do is trust that you've been given your role for a reason. And even though you might not believe it yet, there are folks that around you that do. And you just got to trust them over yourself, honestly. Um, and, and as you're coming into that leadership role, I get that you're going to feel like you need to prove yourself, but I would also encourage you to try to breathe that out as quickly as you can, because that over, like the over indexing on that need to prove yourself is a slippery slope that will dry, take you towards burnout really, really quickly. So as soon as you can give yourself a break, take it, breathe out, realize that you've been chosen for a reason and trust other people's view of you if you're not able to quite trust your own yet i think that's the one it's a great way of dealing with the imposter uh, sense and it's, it, was, it was originally called uh, an imposter phenomenon not imposter syndrome because the syndrome makes people think it's some sort of psychological disorder and it's really not no you know it's just a reality perception but it's, it's yeah. the, the fact that do you think the person that gave you this job is an ass an incompetent ass. Yes, no. Well, well, no. Good. So be quiet. You're fine. Yeah. Get on with Trust it. them. Trust yes. them. And also a little hack for our listeners, if you need one, is every time somebody gives you some good feedback or, you know, what ideally good, um, but any comment, don't care what it is, write it down and keep it all in the same place. I call this your case file of excellence. And anytime you're doubting yourself, you can literally just read through that amazing feedback and remind yourself who you are, because I can almost guarantee that you're just sitting there having forgotten what you already know. Yeah, there's um, in the US, they call it a resume, which is yeah. a, a, a summing up of your life. Uh, in the UK, we send to you CV, which is curriculum vitae or the path or the river of your life. And I think you can take that which is normally like two pages with all your jobs and stuff. If you expand that with your case file of excellence. Yeah, I love that. And I love the river of your life, by the way. That is beautiful. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, although in America, it won't be a river of your life because they recommend one page. 
a small okay. I think you can write more let's change um, stuff keep it going, keep it going. <laughs> so you don't need to know everything you need to trust your boss you don't need to prove yourself is is there is there a way is there a magical how to that comes from that or that surrounds that yeah i mean i think i think the byproduct of learning to believe in yourself is will show up in things like learning to communicate with influence so there is magic in learning how to share just the right amount of information so um and that means starting with the point really um get there first what is the situation learn not to ramble talk about the implication of that situation and then state the action that you're requesting. Now, I know that will sound a little bit like, oh, for some people, but like it might sound demanding, it might sound commanding, but I promise to other people, you will just sound straightforward. So situation, implication, action. And even if, again, this is one of those fake it till you make it things, even if you don't quite believe that you are there yet, communicating in that way will help others to believe in you and that is it's a symbiotic relationship the more they believe in you the more you're going to believe in you promise communicating better that's a, is i love these super simple almost all, we we think we we overanalyze everything and yeah. we go down to this the real basics of Management, managing yourself, managing others. That's the stuff that really makes a difference. I love that. Communicating better. Situation, implication, and action. Nice. Was there a particular event or a mistake, obviously somebody else's, not yours, that you learned from most? That I would say, as a leader, the thing that I learned from the most was... Um, when I used to avoid difficult conversations. <laughs> when I first entered into leadership, it was, as I said earlier, kind of in direct conflict with being a people pleaser. And I had a team, as I said, where I was taking up the slack rather than addressing any underperformance. And over time, these things kept coming back up. So everything that you don't say is like a, it's like a, it's like death by a thousand tiny cuts. Right. Because what's going to happen is you don't say it and then it's going to show up again and then it's going to show up again and then it's going to show up again before you finally, well, expire, perhaps. I don't know. But but I realized that actually by avoiding those difficult conversations, the only person that I was serving there was myself and the fact that my brain was trying to keep me safe and trying to keep me liked. Um, and that was it. And, and over time, I learned that clarity really is kindness and that it's possible to give feedback in a way where both parties go away still respecting and admiring each other. Um, fun fact, my sister-in-law here in the US actually jokes that I am the person that she knows that can now that can complain in a restaurant and go away from that conversation with the restaurant owner thanking me and essentially falling in love and with me and inviting me back, right? Um, as a side note, though, Paul, I will say that I do live in a part of America where they love the British accent, so I suspect that that helps quite a lot. But it is an art. You literally can give people 
um, some fairly constructive feedback and do it in a way where you both go away still conserving and preserving a fantastic relationship. Beautiful. Very diplomatically done. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. there's one thing the Brits are very good at is diplomacy. And I think some some of my American friends say that we just never get to the bloody point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get, get on with Maybe. it. But yeah. if we use situation, implication, action, yes. we get to the point much faster, promise. Well, you start with the end in mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah, start with the end in mind. So it's oh, um, habit number one or something like that. There's seven habits. I love it. Yeah. Great. All right. What are you working on at present? Tell us a bit more about pancakes and peacocks. What's what's going on with you right now? Well, so that is my coaching and consulting business, but I'm actually really excited about a new project that I'm working on, Paul. That is a new leadership accelerator called Bloom that's targeted towards women, actually, women in the workplace or anybody that identifies as a woman who, I mean, really, I, I want to give you the tools and the hacks that I've learned painfully over the years. I want you to get there faster. That's it. So I'm building an accelerator to, to support people to get to leadership roles in a confident, authentic way, much faster than I did. Marvellous. Is there anything in particular that you are reading or listening to that you'd like to share? Uh, I, my husband and I actually have a book club, which, uh, I think is a great hack by the way, for relationships of like, uh, you know, like actually lis listening or reading the same book so that you can then talk about it together and figure out your learnings right now. That's a Brene Brown book, which you've guessed it mm. is my choice, not his. Um, but no, I mean, we, we listen to a blend honestly of they normally development books, either in the business or human development sphere the last one that we listened to before this was a was will smith's book but actually that's kind of a little bit around development too what would you like to go back in time and thank the young ruth for doing now that is a really easy one for me because um i would like to thank the 30 year old ruth for leaning into the hard change that was required to completely reboot my life and start it over again. Um, I realized when I got to the age of 30, Paul, that the life I'd chosen wasn't the right one. I'd chosen the wrong partner. I'd bought the wrong house. I was living in the wrong place. I was in a career that wasn't really serving me, in a role that wasn't really serving me. Um, and I set myself free and I started over again and I rebuilt myself from the inside out and I shaped myself and I continue to shape myself uh, to this day and kind of iterate on whatever it is I need to learn at any moment. But it was that 30 year old me who tore it all up and started over again. And to her, I am eternally thankful. That's a hat tip and a half, isn't it? <laughs> 30 years in. I mean, fair enough, you hear people saying, well, you know, I want to go back and tell my 18-year-old self, well done for doing a thing, but 30, that takes some chutzpah, <laughs> some, some, yes, some courage. Yeah. Okay. Thank right. you. How can people find you? What are your coordinates? Uh, 
Well, probably the best place is LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So I'm on there as probably the only Ruth Penfold Brown. But let me know if you find any other doppelgangers out there. And I will I will say hello. I'll make it my, my mission to say hello to them. You can also find me on Twitter at Ruth Penfold. You can also find me on Instagram at Ruth Penfold. Um, I, I love to connect with people across all of those platforms. Um, and, and of course, you can always email me too. You can go to ruthpenfold.com and drop me a note. Marvellous. Ruth Penfold-Brown, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you, Paul. This has been a thoroughly delightful conversation. So thank you so much. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.